But today we're beginning a new series. It's entitled God's Spirit, Our Advantage for His Advancement. And one of the reasons that we're doing that is most of you will be familiar, even if you um, don't make it a habit of coming to church or wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that there's two big holidays for Christians. There's Christmas and there's Easter. Unfortunately, you know that because Christians themselves often neglect a third holiday, which should be just as big for us as Christmas and Easter, and that's Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday is going to be celebrated this year on June 8th. So the second Sunday of June is when we'll celebrate Pentecost Sunday. But that's just a significant event in the New Testament for understanding what happens um, to the church, to these very, very early followers of Jesus and his disciples. And there was a reason that there's about a a 50-day, that's what it means, Penta 50, day gap between what happened on the events of Easter and then what happened in the coming of the Holy Spirit on that Sunday. So what you have to do is kind of imagine living in the first century and no one has a phone and no one has a TV and no one can Skype anyone or uh, having a, a FaceTime phone call. So if your desire is to get the most amount of information out to the largest amount of people possible, you can't just send an email. You can't just sign up a Twitter page and, um, and tweet something out. You need to capitalize when the, on the events where the most amount of people are gathered in one place. For the Jews in the first century, there were three holidays where they would come to Jerusalem. Wherever they lived, they would try to send, if the whole family couldn't come, at least a representative from the family to come to Jerusalem to celebrate three specific holidays. When Jesus was crucified, that was during a holiday called Passover for Jews. And so Jews from northern Egypt, from other parts of Asia towards Europe would have been in Jerusalem and would have heard about Jesus and then would have heard that Jesus died. And then most of them would have gone home. And somebody from the family would not have come back to Jerusalem for at least 50 days at this time of Pentecost. But Jesus rose again within three days of dying, and he was actually with his disciples in between those two holidays. And he was able, in that in-between time, to explain a lot of things to his disciples that were mysteries to them. But even as he was explaining it to them, there was an intentional waiting until again the city would be full. And so that what would happen would be seen and witnessed by as many people as possible so that when they went back home, they could tell people what they had just seen and experienced in Jerusalem. And for Jesus, what he had told his disciples was that he would send another helper who had come, the Holy Spirit. But before he did that, he had time with just them to give them sort of the inside track on understanding exactly who he was, who the Holy Spirit would be, so that when this amazing experience happened that we're going to celebrate on June 8th, they would already be ready for it. They'd be able to anticipate it, and they would know what to do once it happened. So the passage that we're looking at today is precisely in that waiting period. Jesus had risen again, but it's not festival time yet. So Jesus is just with his disciples, and this is from John chapter 20, where we're reading this this account. So if you would, I'd invite you to grab a Bible and to open it. If you have one of the Bibles that's provided for you, uh, this is going to be on page 907. 
907, we're reading about an experience that Jesus has after he's risen again, but before this promise of the Holy Spirit has come, he's with his disciples, and we're going to start in verse 24, where Jesus is interacting with one of his disciples, a man named Thomas. And we'll see in the story, Thomas is struggling to believe some of the things that his other Friends, the other disciples of Jesus believe. And he's struggling to believe it because he hasn't seen it with his eyes. He's only heard it secondhand. But actually, right before we go to John 20, since you're there, you're in a good place, but I'm going to ask you to go backwards, just two to three pages to chapter 16, where Jesus, right before he dies, explains much of what I've just said to you. And so I just want you to see that this is something, in fact, that Jesus Said, But our title of our message today is, What is the Advantage? The series says, Our Advantage for His Advancement. What is the advantage that we have? And we're going to see that in the story of Jesus and Thomas. But in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7, which is on page 902, we'll hear that this is actually what Jesus said, that it would be to our advantage. Verse 7. <clears throat> Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judge i still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you all that the father has is mine therefore i said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you and then just scan your eyes over to the next page in verse 25 of the very same chapter jesus is continuing this explanation to his disciples and he says i have said these things to you in figures of speech the hour is coming when i will no longer speak to you in figures of speech but will tell you plainly about the father And that's where we'll stop. So the first thing that we're looking at today as we begin this series is what Jesus said. It was Jesus who said to all of his disciples that it's to their advantage and with them, all of us here, it's to our advantage that he would go away so that he could send the helper to them. And then he said to them, there's a lot more I could tell you But they couldn't handle it at that moment. They wouldn't have been able to understand it if Jesus just kept on teaching. And then in verse 25, what he said is, he was giving them a lot of information in the form of parables, figures of speech. But he said, there's coming a time when I'll be able just to tell you directly what I mean, what I'm about, and what the advantage is. So he was trying to get them ready as much as he could, knowing that something so significant was going to take place that they weren't quite ready for it and they needed to be prepared, but they also 
It's one of those things that it has to happen. It, you can only explain it to someone so much before it actually happens, and he recognizes that. And so he says, there's a lot more I want to tell you, but I actually, that wouldn't even be fruitful for me just to tell you everything. So I'm going to stop here. I know I'm speaking in figures of speech. I just promise all these things will become more clear once they already happen. One of those things that his disciples had no category in their thinking to understand fully was that he was going to die and rise again. They thought, yes, he's the leader, yes, he's the king, and he's going to do something great. They didn't still struggle to believe that he was going to die, that he was going to be a sacrifice, and that he would rise again. Therefore, they could only understand so much until he died and rose again, and then he could say, okay, see, this is what I was talking about. Now that you know this, now that you have this piece of the puzzle, here's all the things that you can go and do. But until you know it, until you experience it, certain things are just going to be missing. And that's what we see in John chapter 20 when we go back now to Thomas. Thomas is one of these guys who didn't have the whole picture in his brain, struggled to believe that Jesus would die and rise again. And even though his disciples, his, his fellow friends were telling him the truth, he was still struggling. So that's what Jesus said. Now we're going to look at what Jesus did. Verse 24 of chapter 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them, the disciples, when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's where we'll stop. So we already looked at what Jesus said, now we're looking at what Jesus did. Thomas is one of these followers. He was there when Jesus died. And the death was so graphic, so gruesome, that though people afterwards were telling him, his closest friends... He's alive again. Thomas is saying, I don't believe you. I'll never believe you. I saw what they did to him. And unless I see him again, I won't. I just can't. I mean, nobody can come back from that. It, it, it gives us an indication of how severe the death of Jesus was, how brutal it was, that he, one of the eyewitnesses, is, is at this place where he's saying, I, 
I just, I can't buy it. I can't believe it, that someone could come back from that experience. Even though the disciples told them. And then there's actually an eight-day gap. There's, the, there's some of the disciples who've seen him and who believe. And there's Thomas saying, you guys are crazy. You got, there's just no way. You guys are crazy. I don't believe you. And then Jesus appears on the scene while they're all gathered together. And what he says to them is, peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, he shows him his hands. And on his hands are still the mark of the cross. There are still holes in his hands from the cross that he can say to Thomas, look, see, touch, give me your hand, feel. Look at my side. It's me. It really is me. And when we think of all the things that Jesus could have said or could have done, I mean, he could have showed up there and just gone off on Thomas. He said, Thomas, I heard you're the one who doesn't believe in me. Didn't you see when I fed these people with food we didn't have? Didn't, weren't you there when I raised Lazarus from the dead? Weren't you? I mean, he just could have come in and said, I can't believe that I was with you for so many years. I even told you ahead of time what was going to happen. And here you are. You're the one who refuses to believe. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus has a tremendous amount of compassion for the doubt that's in Thomas's heart. He has compassion for it. And for some of us, uh, we can't quite grasp that this is really how God is. That God has compassion for those who struggle to believe in him. We're not sure that that's really true, that God could have compassion for those who struggle to believe in him. We think God is more likely to be just angry at those who don't believe in him. But what Jesus demonstrates right here in this moment to Thomas is he shows Thomas, because he is God in the flesh, what God is really like and that God really has compassion for those who doubt him. So that if you're someone who's sitting here and you're saying, I'm, I'm not sure I believe any of this. I, it doesn't make sense to me. And everything I've heard about God, it, it just does not make sense to me that this person that I know in my life passed away. And, and everything I know about God and ev- everything I've heard people say about him, it doesn't make sense to me that I struggle with this issue. Or that someone older than me who struggled with an issue was given the type of freedom they had to take out all of those struggles on me when I had nothing to do with it. And when I remember those things and I, those experiences come to my mind and there's, there's no amount of medication or alcohol that can remove those memories from my experience, when they come into my mind, it is really hard to believe He's real. It's really hard to believe he exists. And here's Jesus with Thomas and with all of us, with all the compassion and the patience in the world to say, that's okay. 
I'm, I, he's big enough to handle our questions. He's big enough to hear all of our frustrations. He's big enough for all of our doubts that come into our minds because of the experiences that we've had in our lives. And rather than jumping in anger and going out of his way to defend everything he's ever done in Thomas's life before, he, he's just there and he's in front of him with compassion for him and he says, Thomas, here I am. You can feel, you can touch, here I am. And so Thomas does. And then Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God, which is another way Thomas is saying, okay, I, I believe. I believe now like the other disciples believe. So these disciples have a, a different path and a different way of getting there. And Jesus is trying to bring them all to the same place. But Jesus understands that all of us, based on our experiences and based on our differences, might have a different way in which we get to this very same conclusion. And he's okay with that. But all those who in sincerity bring their doubts before God and say to him, this is why I doubt, we believe, like Thomas, Jesus, in having compassion, will meet and speak to those issues of the heart. See, it's possible that we could take all of our doubts and if we believe God doesn't want to hear any of those doubts, then we just keep them to ourselves and we have nothing to do with God. We never, we never pray to him. We never seek his face because we, we don't even think that it's appropriate to bring those kinds of things to him. And when we don't bring any of those kinds of things to him, then we're separating ourselves and closed off from the opportunity for him to show compassion to us and to reveal himself to us inauthentic way to say this is really who I am. Bring those questions. Bring those fears. Bring those doubts. And some of us, if, if we have struggle uh, thinking that way about God, we especially then struggle to think that the church is a safe place to think that way. If we think God has no patience to hear our questions and our doubts and fears, then most of us would say, well, I, I know the church definitely doesn't. And they don't want me there if I'm there and I'm seeing that song and it's saying how much he loves me and all I can think about is I'm not sure he really does. But if we as a church are followers of Christ and exhibit the attitude of Christ, then we can say, no, 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 as we sing about the love of God, if the love of God is the very thing you're questioning, be here. If you can't sing that song, don't sing it. Wrestle with that. This is, a, this is a safe place to ask questions about God, to consider together who he is and, and what he's doing and what he's about and why things happen. And it, this isn't the answer place. This isn't where we're gonna be able to, to deal with every single one of those issues. But it is a safe place for that. At least it's supposed to be. But I would submit to you that there's a whole group of people that aren't here this morning because they don't believe that. They don't believe that this is a safe place to ask real questions about God. Not because of anything you or I have done, but just 
if they don't believe it, that God's a safe place for that, they don't believe the church is a safe place for that. And as we reach out to them, trying to tell them the good news of who Jesus is, we have to be aware that some of them have real questions and real doubts and that they are legitimate. And if we make them feel dumb for having those doubts, if we make them feel silly for having those doubts, then they'll just keep the doubts to themselves and have no desire to come and make this a safe place where they can experience those things. One of the challenges for all of us who call Lakeside home is when we hear what Jesus said and we see what Jesus did is to try as much as possible in our own lives, in our own demeanor, to exhibit this kind of attitude that people would believe that they could come with their questions, with their doubts, with their fears, and they can raise them. They can talk about them. And they can know that someone loves them in spite of those doubts. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus persuaded Thomas that he loved him even though Thomas was doubting him. That's the burden of the church. That's the burden of all those who follow Christ is to persuade the world that we love them as we try to demonstrate that Jesus really is who he said he is. And every time a holiday comes, it's one of those opportunities for us to to, to really challenge and consider what it is that we believe. And so that if, if this is only a safe place for, for mothers today who, who love being a mother and feel like they're doing a great job at being a mother, and so this is just the celebration of that, then there's a whole group of people that are like, I can't get in on that celebration. On a good day, I feel like I'm failing as a mom. So don't just tell me Happy Mother's Day. On a good day, I still feel like I'm failing at it. Or someone else is saying, I want to be a mom and I'm not a mom. Someone is struggling with the lack of relationship that they had with someone who was supposed to be their mom. Someone is sitting here and they're wondering what their child would have been like had they lived to celebrate Mother's Day. And here's Jesus saying to everyone, I have compassion for all of your doubts and all of your questions. And he, there's enough grace and enough mercy and enough love that he offers to people in this world that he says to everyone, come and drink and this well will never run dry. And that's good news to moms. That's good news to young women who've had abortions. That's good news to people who aren't moms but wish they were. That's great news. And at the same time, it's offensive news. And the good news is, they can't kill him again. When he so radically offers grace to anyone and everyone such that it offends one group of people that he offers grace to another group of people the good news is it's to our advantage he died once and that's it and he's alive again and no one can crucify him again he is alive forever and the grace that he extends and the good news that he offers 
no other person can revoke. No other person can change. And he's saying, this is to your advantage. I had to use figures of speech. I had to say the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and the kingdom of heaven is like this. But now here he is saying, Thomas, this is who I am. Here's the wounds. Here's the scars. This is the good news that you have. This is to your advantage that from now on you can proclaim this. And he says to Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet believed. And so that's Jesus referring to all of us. Blessed are we if we come with all of our questions and all of our doubts to him and just from hearing about how Jesus interacted with Thomas, if we could come to the place this morning and say, well, I believe him. I want to follow him. I want to trust him. I didn't know I could follow him and still have questions at the same time. I want to follow him. And Jesus says, even more blessed are going to be the people who believe even though they have not seen. And in case we miss that, that's what verses 30 and 31 get to. In case we are missing the mark of what Jesus is doing with Thomas, John the gospel writer tells us. And so when we consider what Jesus said and then what Jesus did, the final thing is to consider who Jesus is. And this is what verse 30 and 31 says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. His compassion for this doubter, his willingness to show his scars, and then his promise to send the Spirit, all of this is to our advantage because the advantage that it gives us is that if we come to him and really believe that he is who he said he is and that he can extend and offer the grace that he can extend and offer, then you and I can have life, eternal life in his name. We can be given life that never ends just like he has. And there's Jesus saying, just like they can't take mine, if you come and you drink from this fountain and you take from this well, you get my life and you will never die. What I'm offering you is forever, a relationship with me that even earthly death cannot undo just like my death did not undo who I am and the relationship with I ha- that I have with the Father, that relationship is yours as well. That's who Jesus is. That's what he offers. That's the best news on Mother's Day, on Monday, on Thursday, and every single day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and we thank you For the advantage that you give, which is a helper, your spirit, to convict us of sin, to convict us of our need for righteousness, to convict us that you really are who you said you are. And as we look back on the doubts and the questions of other people a long time ago, I just pray, Father, that you would help through your spirit each person in this room to explore their questions, their concerns, their doubts, and that they would, through your spirit, believe 
that you're big enough for all of them and that you're compassionate enough to listen to all of them and that you're good enough to provide for all of us life that lasts forever. And it's in your name, your life-giving name that we pray. Amen.